If you have your Bibles, will you turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1. We're going to begin a new series in the book of Proverbs. I've called this Biblical Principles for Biblical Life. And this morning, from verses 1 through 7, we want to consider wisdom for life. Really, the Proverbs are designed to give to us wisdom and understanding and insight And it's pointless uh, having those things unless you're able to practice them, right? Put them into operation, put them into practice, or to put it another way, to live them. And so that's really what I'm aiming at this morning from biblical practice, principles for biblical practice. So, verse 1 of Proverbs chapter 1, just through verse 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And may God bless to us the reading of his inspired word. Let's pray together. Now our Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence because we have come to hear your word. We've come to listen to the voice of the living God in the word of God. That the word preached, as our fathers used to say, is the word proclaimed, is the word of God. We desire to hear the word of God. May the preacher be nothing. May the word of God ascend, strike our consciences, affect our lives, bring us comfort, give us joy and hope, even to the converting of our souls. And we pray, Father, that in everything that is said, as the word is proclaimed, that our Lord Jesus Christ might be exalted and magnified and manifested among us by the Spirit. These things we pray and ask with thanksgiving. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. You know, most of us uh, might be, or uh, it's possible, are ignorant of... uh, the various doctrines that have uh, been found in church history that have caused us to come to where we are this morning. So, for example, there are in the church fathers the great discussions and the great debates and the great arguments about the doctrine of the Trinity. What do we mean by that? That there is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There were a lot of debates Uh, and discussions about that until the orthodox doctrine from the Word of God was established. And that is what we believe and confess to be God's Word and the doctrine as we read it from the, the Scriptures this morning. Or think about the great debates concerning Jesus Christ, the Christological debates about His person, who is He? Or about His work, what did He do because of who He is? And so these things were ironed out thousands of years ago in church history. You think of Augustine defining and clarifying for us the issues of predestination 
and even the calling of God and regeneration. You think of Anselm and the great doctrine of the atonement, and we just spent five weeks considering Isaiah chapter 53, that whole subject of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, His atoning sacrifice for us. Or think of Luther coming to comprehend justification by faith and a whole uh, number of other things that attend the, the doctrine of salvation. And think of Calvin and the Reformers, how they systematized and put all of that together so that we, 500 years later, are the heirs of a tradition, of an orthodox tradition, of a Reformed tradition that is clear, that is profound, and that is eminently biblical. Everything we believe, dear brothers and sisters, is grounded in Scripture, not in the teachings of men, not in the confessions of faith, though they are crucial and significant and we ought to read them and study them and believe them, but in the Word of God. I desire above all, thing, all things that Jesus would be manifest in our lives. And the only way I know how that can be accomplished or we can learn to do that is through the preaching, through the understanding of Scripture. When we come to the book of Proverbs, the Proverbs, interestingly enough, there is a scarcity and a paucity to uh, the existence of the Proverbs in the preaching of the church. Most times it is relegated today, I think, to mere motivational psychological improvement. But that is not what the Proverbs are there for. Mr. Spurgeon, for example, preached, preached thousands and thousands of sermons, but I was only able to find 45 sermons from the Proverbs out of those thousands. Calvin, for example, in his Institutes, only makes about 80 references out of thousands of biblical references to the book of Proverbs. There truly is in the church and in the understanding, I think, of Christians at large, a scarcity, a limitation on what we really can learn and should learn from Solomon who wrote the book of Proverbs so long ago for us. One commentator has called the Proverbs that these are laws from heaven for life on earth. Laws from heaven for life on earth. Solomon has a wonderful, a wonderful description of the Proverbs because he says in chapter, five, chapter 25 verse 11 that the Proverbs, what he has written, are like apples in, uh, of gold and in settings of silver. We're talking this morning about wealth. Spiritual wealth, biblical wealth. Solomon thinks of instruction and knowledge and discretion and discernment and insight. He thinks of those things in the idea of them being of immense value because there is value attached to them. Therefore, there is value to the one who practices the Proverbs, who lives according to the Proverbs. According to the book of 1 Kings, King Solomon wrote 3,000 Proverbs. Imagine that. There are men and women today who write poetry, write, I suppose, some prose, write stories and all of that. But imagine writing 3,000 Proverbs. Think of the book of Proverbs and the immense variety uh, of subjects that King Solomon touches on that are absolutely crucial for you and for me as a Christian. This is, as Charles Bridges says, the pen of the king of Israel that you see here, but the words are actually the very words of God Himself. 
Most times when we read the Proverbs or read the Song of Solomon or read the book of Ecclesiastes, we are troubled by, by many things. We just don't quite understand. We just don't quite grasp what has been written. I hope and I pray as we consider together the Proverbs that we will at least see the value of what God has given to us, the immense value to the Christian church and to you, to me as individual believers. You will notice Solomon says right up front, doesn't he, if you look at verse 2, this is his purpose. His purpose, he says, is to know wisdom and instruction and to understand words of insight. I mean, I would like that, to know wisdom, to know what it is, and to know instruction and to understand words of insight. Solomon is giving to us this morning... And when you read the book of Proverbs, think about it this way. He's always giving to you practically the key to life. About how to live your life. So Proverbs is essentially about getting wisdom, obtaining wisdom. Not only getting wisdom, but keeping wisdom. And then applying wisdom and living wisdom. And here's the interesting thing about biblical wisdom. Wisdom is available for anyone who wants it. Even for the fool, the foolish, the simple, the scoffer, the sluggard, even for those. Wisdom is available for anyone who wants it. It is as free as folly is. It's as free as foolishness. And therefore you can see that it's a choice. That's why Solomon writes, to know wisdom. That's what I've set my heart on, he says. That's what my mind is fixated on. I want to know wisdom and I want to understand instruction and these kinds of things. At the same time, wisdom is costly. It's not cheap. It doesn't come easily to us. In fact, we must learn it. We must be instructed in it. We don't just find ourselves to be wise as Christians. When somebody becomes a Christian, when they are born again of the Spirit of God, when they are converted, as we say, when they come to know Jesus Christ, they are what we call babies in Christ, infants in Christ. They don't understand the depths of Scripture. That takes time. That takes maturity. It takes a level of comprehension that only comes by reading the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It's interesting to me how many people speak today so authoritatively on the Bible and yet have never read the Bible. Or speak about that they know God and yet have never read the Bible through. How can you speak about God so eloquently, so passionately when you've never read God's Word, the very thing God says to you? And so you can see how important it is when we talk about practical matters, as Solomon does, to understand that we need to take time. And we need to exercise some form of discipline and restraint upon ourselves because we are exposed to all the opinions of fools and foolish people and wickedness. So all that is written by Solomon in the Proverbs is so that you and that we might be wise. That we might be wise believers. Not wise like the world thinks that it's wise, right? but wise like God. This is the wisdom of God. God's wisdom is always about living in a pleasing relationship to Him. That's what I want. I don't want to just exist and live in a relationship to God, but I want to live in a pleasing relationship to God. That requires the wisdom of God and the instruction of God. 
As Christians, we have learned to discern, I, I pray and hope and to understand, that we are not interested in man's wisdom. We're not interested in the world's wisdom. We've been there. We've done that. We've tried that. We've seen it. We know it. We're not interested in the wisdom of man. No, what we want is the wisdom of God. One of the commentators, George Lawson, he says, in this little, in this little book, there appears more wisdom than in all the combined monuments of Greek and Roman learning. And we base our country, we, many countries base themselves on the ancient philosophies of democracy and of wisdom that the world has. The wisdom of man, according to the Bible, is folly, is foolishness. Do you know why? Because it doesn't lead you to God. It doesn't show God. It never reveals God to you. What it does reveal is man in his pride, in his vanity, and in his exaltation. Jesus, according to the report, First Corinthians chapter one is said to be the wisdom of God and the power of God. If I want to know the wisdom of God and the power of God, I need to know Christ. I need to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And you remember how the Lord Jesus Christ, in discussing a variety of things before the Jewish leaders, told them that a greater than Solomon was among them. And Solomon is said to be the wisest of all men given wisdom by God. Yet our Lord Jesus Christ is the one who is described as the wisdom of God. It is said Caesar Augustus, the Caesar who reigned when our Lord Jesus Christ was born, it is said of Caesar that, that he availed himself of all the learning that he could, the wisdom of great men that had gone before him, so that he might have principles or precepts by which he could govern by. And by all accounts, apart from being a dictator, a Roman dictator, Caesar did make attempts to rule the world in peace and to rule in justice. He learned that from the ancient wisdom that he got. But the great difference, dear brothers and sisters, between us as believers and between the world, the unbeliever, is simply Jesus, the wisdom of God. The great difference between us and others is that uh, we know that wisdom from God exists in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember how the Bible describes the Lord Jesus when he was just a very young boy? He increased in wisdom and favor with God. That our Lord Jesus even applied himself in his humanity to learning, to understanding, to study, and so on. And the great difference between all of us whether we are believers or unbelievers, and Jesus Christ is that we acquire wisdom. We learn wisdom, but not Jesus. He is wisdom. He is the wisdom of God. And so I say to you up front, I'm not interested, and I know you're not as Christians, if you are a Christian, in the wisdom of man. You are interested in the wisdom of God. And that's what we want to consider. We need the wisdom of God. We need to learn it because unless we learn it, we cannot apply it. We cannot live it. And I, I look at the book of Proverbs and I think to myself, there's so much in this book that I am impoverished spiritually if I don't really study it or think about it. The wide variety of subjects that Solomon touches on or are of immense practical value for any Christian. For example, what is it like to live as a husband and a wife? Answer, 
in the Proverbs? What is it like uh, to have money? Or what should I do with my money? What should I do with my wealth? Answer, in the Proverbs. How should I handle my money? Answer, in the Proverbs. And so on and so forth. Or what about the little personal things like gossiping? Or telling lies? Lying. You want to resolve that? You want to solve that problem? Answer, in the Proverbs. What about being an angry person, filled with bitterness towards somebody else, or even bitterness towards God, because life hasn't turned out the way you expected it? What about that? How do you live with that in your heart, in your mind? Answer, you deal with it by listening to the Proverbs. What about a career? What about work? What about retirement and these kinds of ideas in the Proverbs? What about the importance of reading the Bible? Or what about the importance of praying according to biblical principles? Answer in the Proverbs. What about my heart and mind? That's a big thing, isn't it? Do you know why? Because it's not out there for you to see. It's in here. I know it. I see it. Things go on, don't they? So, answer, to deal with my heart, to deal with my mind, right here in the Proverbs. Or what about being honest versus dishonest? Answer, in the Proverbs. Oh, dear brothers and sisters, the list is endless. The list is endless. No wonder Solomon says right up front, look, my goal, my aim is to know wisdom. Unless I get wisdom, unless I get understanding, how will I understand and apply and live these truths that God's Word is saturated with? And as you know, it's not just by the Proverbs that we live. We live by the entire Word of God. So the Proverbs, I say, are of immense help to us. One of the things that I learned from my wife, Chris, was to read the Proverbs every day. So I read one proverb every day. I've been reading them for years, right? So, if it's the first day of the month, you start with Proverbs 1, and you just go through the month. And if you discover that you're in a 30-day month, then you read two at the end. Okay, you should be able to figure that out. There's only 31 Proverbs. You do that over and over and over and over again. After a while, something does begin to settle in your mind. And so I do that with the, the Psalms, as you know. I do that with the book of Revelation. I do that with the Proverbs, besides other reading of Scripture. Because I want the Word to saturate my mind and my life so that I live according to the Word. And that's what we should aim at. Can you ever get enough of the Bible? You cannot. You can say every time you've read it, there's so much more here to read. Uh, perhaps you don't have the time to do that because you've got to go to work. That God knows that. But at least you're reading. At least you have some plan. At least you have some operation that's working and going on. So I find the Proverbs, because they're practical, that's the thing. Because they're essential and vital to true godly life. Therefore, they're important, right? So Proverbs, so the opening verses of Proverbs right here by Solomon are absolutely helpful. They set the scene. They lay the groundwork for you to build your life upon. And so we don't read the Proverbs mainly for motivation. You know, like you just flip through the Bible, land on a proverb, and ah, that's good for the day. 
That's not how you should read your Bible, by the way. That's a bad practice. Stop it if you do that. Don't do that. Be consistent. Be systematic. Be regular when you read God's Word. So, we don't read them just for motivation. We don't read them just for direction. But notice verse 7 here. This is why we read the Proverbs. For the fear of the Lord. We just read Psalm 111, Psalm 115, sang Psalm 128. They all have the fear of the Lord in them. For the fear of the Lord, and then he goes on to say, which is only, by the way, the beginning of wisdom. To fear the Lord, to fear God, is only the starting point, right at the beginning. I'm often interested to study athletes as they prepare to run 100 meters or, or 200 meters or 400 meters. You see them, they stand there and they're in their zone, they're in their mindset, whatever it is that they're thinking about the end of the race, but they're going through mentally all that it will take them to be the first over there. They have planned for it, they have strategized for it, they have trained for it, they have disciplined their life around just a race. Just one race. The Christian life, as you know, is a race. But it's not a short race. It's your entire life until you get to glory. It doesn't matter what age you become a Christian. I became a Christian at nine years of age. I was nine when God struck me with His, uh, His Word. And I believed and was born again of the Spirit. And I mean, that's more than 50 years ago. It's a long time ago. What a privilege. But how far have I come? How far have I grown? And I've still got a long way to go, Lord willing, hopefully another 50 or 60 years till I get to the end of my race, Lord willing. And I'll still be young, by the way. So you, you can see that this is not something that is, you get it in one Sunday sermon. I've heard the sermon, now I'm wise, because yes, I believe that. You ought to believe it, but you ought to practice it. And it's in the practice of doctrine that we discover the nitty-gritty, how difficult it is to live according to God's Word. That's why we're a fight. Christian life is about spiritual warfare. So I'm not really interested in motivation, little motivational talks. That's not preaching. I'm not interested in the psychology behind it. What I am interested in is the God who says it. And why he says it to me and to you. Proverbs 15 and verse 33 says that the fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom. Notice that. You have to learn wisdom. To be instructed in wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So here are two things. If you want to write this down, wisdom is necessary for learning and wisdom is necessary for living. Wisdom is necessary for learning, and wisdom is necessary for living. But what is wisdom? Right? That's the issue. What is this wisdom? Well, surely, wisdom is the right application of knowledge. I mean, what you know is what you practice. What you know is what you demonstrate, what you live, what you say, what you... Everything comes from what you know, from your knowledge. Of course, if you say something, you know nothing about, people will soon enough know that you don't know what you're talking about. Right? So all of our learning and living, which is going to be expressed or couched in wisdom, as Solomon wants us, is the right, simply the right application of knowledge. You'll notice in verse 5, <clears throat> let the wise hear, listen, and increase in learning. Let the wise increase in learning. And if you go back to verse 2, 
He talks about to know wisdom and instruction. Verse 2, we should know wisdom. You notice how Solomon equates verse 2, to know, with to understand. So verse 2, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. So he says, here are two things you should do. You need to know and you need to understand. If you don't understand, how can you practice? If you don't know, how can you practice? And so on. That's the idea. By the way, the word understanding there is simply this great word which we probably never use so much today, the word discernment. But it's biblical practice, discernment, right? In fact, you'll notice he says in verse 3 that to receive wise dealing. And what does that wise dealing look like? He says, verse 3, righteousness, justice, and equity. And that's what he means. And so discernment is much more than, I think, the King James or New King James has, which talks about perceiving. No, understanding or discernment is much more than perception. Because I can have a perception about something. But discernment is very different from my perception. Right? Discernment is always related in the Bible to making a judgment. A judgment call, as we like to talk about it. Making the right decisions, the right judgments that are God-honoring. I need discernment to make those kinds of decisions. I need wisdom. You remember how the writer to the Hebrews, writing to the Hebrews, he says in chapter 5 and verse 14, he says, solid food is for the mature believer, right? For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now I thought about that, you know. First of all, Solid food, the meat of the Bible, not just the the milk of the Word, but the real stuff. The meat of the Bible is for someone who's mature. But how do you become mature? Well, it takes time, right? That's why he says they have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. By putting into practice the Bible, the principles of God's Word, over and over again. So that you are training your mind, training your heart to make right decisions and judgments. To distinguish as the writer to the Hebrew says, from good and evil. So to understand, to be a discerning Christian means you have the ability to make the right moral judgments. The right moral judgments. By the way, to make the right moral judgment is a matter of knowing righteousness. And he talks about that right here. So I want to show you a little bit about this, because, because wisdom is not just here in the first Uh, opening verses, but it's all throughout the Proverbs, right? So just look at chapter 2, for example. Chapter 2, and I'm just going to read verses 1 through 15 of chapter 2. My son, if, condition, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, If you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures. So he's taken four verses to tell you that you should do this, do this, do this. If you do this, do this, do this. Verse 5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and then you will find the knowledge of God. Why? Verse 6, for the Lord gives wisdom 
From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright or the righteous. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of righteousness or uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways." Wisdom will deliver you from that. Now just notice some things. It's clear from chapter 2, verses 1 through 15, that there are massive spiritual benefits, right, and blessings to wisdom. But he says you have to look for it, you have to seek it, you have to search for it. It's like hidden treasure, right? Verse 4. It's like Jesus said in Matthew 13, the pearl of great price that's hidden in a field. That is discovered. The man sells everything he has, buys the field to get the one pearl of immense value. What would you sell? What would you give to get wisdom? Solomon says, I'm prepared to give all wealth. And I'm prepared to search for it like silver, like gold. (coughs) But he also knows in verse chapter 2 that wisdom only comes from God. He says, the Lord gives wisdom... And from the Lord's mouth comes knowledge and understanding. God's wisdom, he says in verse 11, is going to keep spiritual watch and vigilance over your soul, over your life. Notice verse 12, it delivers you from the way of evil. What is the way of evil? The practice of evil. You see it? It delivers you from the practice of evil, he says. One of the things we know about God's Word from the New Testament uh, is that it is a sword. It's a double-edged sword, as the writer to the Hebrews says. The sword of the Word is able to smite and strike at sin. If you play with sin, then what you really need to do is, what does God say about that? Where will you find that? In the Word, which is the sword of the Spirit. And you will discover that the Spirit will take the Word, His sword, and He will apply it to your life, your situation, whatever it is. Even if it's not sin, but you need to make some decision about something or other, take the Word of God and apply it to your life, and you will discover that God speaks to those very things. And God helps you. So God's Word, God's wisdom, keeps spiritual vigilance and watch over my life. It strikes at sin at the very core of it. And that's what he says, doesn't he, in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. The wisdom of God is the Word. Solomon talks about commandments and instructions and all of these things. You remember how David wrote that very famous verse for young boys, young people? Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to what? Your word. Your word. You want the principle to keep the practice pure? You need the word to guard the way. That's what it does. Now listen, knowledge and wisdom requires effort, doesn't it? I mean, John is about to go to college. Enjoy. You will learn. I pray. Day and night, learn. 
You're acquiring knowledge, right? That's what you do when you go to university or to college. You, you, you acquire learning. You acquire instruction. But, but knowledge and instruction and wisdom, they don't just come because the Bible says they exist. They require your effort. They require discipline, don't they? They require a time of, of concentrated effort so that when I apply what I now know, it's because I know it. And sometimes even the knowledge of something, there are depths to the knowledge of certain things. It doesn't just happen. That's why verse 5, let the wise hear and increase in learning. So I have to listen to the word. I have to pay attention to the word. I have to give ears or hearing to the word. I have to open my ears to what God has to say. So here are two principles, right? Listen and learn. Not learn and listen, but listen and learn. Put yourself in the classroom. What are you doing? You're not parading your knowledge, your learning. You're listening so that you might acquire knowledge, that you might acquire learning. Now, when I boil that all down, I come up with this idea of discipleship. I mean, what is a disciple? He's a learner. Think of the 12 disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, every now and again, Peter would open his mouth and try to teach Jesus. Right? That's not going to happen to you, Lord. Every now and again, he, he, he did that kind of thing. No, he's a disciple. He's learning from the master. He's learning from the teacher, from the rabbi. That's what he was doing. And he was supposed to do And all the others. Every disciple is a learner. It is enough that a disciple be like his teacher. Not above his teacher, but like his teacher. Because we're all disciples. We're all in the school of learning. Every one of us here this morning is at a different stage in our learning. You want to learn more? Listen. Listen to God. Listen to His Word. So discipleship, I'm in the school of Jesus, is about learning from Christ. Many people believe that they can be a better person if they follow certain steps or certain principles or practice certain things. But God says, you can only be better if you learn from Christ. If you're not learning from Christ, your learning is the wisdom of the world and in 30 years' time, you'll still be making the same decisions and issues. Never moving forward or deeper. And wisdom, by the way, in chapter 1, verses 2 through 5, it translates into something. It translates into character. Character living. Behavior, if I can put it like that. So notice in verses 2 through 5, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. Verse 3, to receive instruction, wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. You see, if you want to deal wisely, you need to receive instruction. And what is the wise application of these things? It will come out in righteousness and justice and equity. To give prudence or to give discretion. Now we've talked about discipline and discernment. Now here's, here's the idea of discretion. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear, increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. Then, like chapter 2 verse 9 says, you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. 
the application of wisdom is for one massive purpose apart from ourselves, growing, learning, listening. But it has to do with the fear of God, doesn't it? The fear of the Lord. Then you will understand, as chapter 2 verse 5 says, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Or to put it another way, wisdom will help you worship God. Why? Because you know God. I mean, it's pointless worshiping if you don't know. What are you worshiping? Who are you worshiping if you have no knowledge of God? No, wisdom will help you worship God. And by the way, wisdom will help you know God. For those of you who are married, one of the great benefits of marriage is that you discover that your spouse learns all your foibles and knows you. Knows you better than you perhaps even know yourself sometimes, right? What a privilege then, right, to be in, the, the, in that situation. But isn't that exactly on a much higher level what we are like with God? We are in relationship to God. What you think you know about God is here. What does God know about you? Everything. There's nothing God does not know about you. He knows everything about you. Now, Chris doesn't know everything there is to know about me. That's true. She doesn't know what's in my heart. She doesn't know what's in my mind. She's not omniscient. She sees behavior, and she knows where behavior comes from. She sees character. She knows how character develops. But the depths of depravity and vileness in my mind and heart, no. And likewise, the other way around, for each of us, right? But God knows all of that. God sees all of that. So we do not learn to satisfy mere curiosity, we learn to satisfy conscience before God. That's the fear of the Lord. Satisfy my conscience in assurance before God. In other words, to put it another way, this fear of the Lord is reverence. To acknowledge, to see, to know who God is for what God says of Himself. Do you remember how Martha and Mary, the two sisters, were entertaining Jesus? And how Martha is laboring and sweating in the kitchen, right? And Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. And Jesus is teaching. And she's just drinking it in. And Martha comes hurrying in, Lord, don't you care that I'm all alone in the kitchen? And Mary, you know, she needs to be there with me. Send her. No, Martha, you are anxious about many things. But Mary has chosen the better thing to learn of me, to sit at my feet. You see, we can be doing a lot of things and not learning from Jesus. We can be serving in a variety of capacities and not sitting at the feet of Jesus. We can be like Martha. And generally when we're like Martha, we're troubled and we're anxious about many, many things. Rather, we need to give those things to the Lord and sit at His feet and drink His wisdom and satisfy our souls because we reverence Him and fear Him and want to listen to Him. So you listen to Christ, you learn from Christ. You listen and you learn. By the way, to listen to Jesus and to learn from Jesus requires humility. You can't come with your arrogance, I know everything, you can't come with, look, I know this and I don't need to learn about that, so teach me about this. Can't do that. You come as ignorant. 
You come as not knowing anything. You listen, but it requires humility of the mind and the heart. By the way, living in our world today as it is, there is anything but humility of mind and humility of heart in the world, right? In fact, it's the parade of mind and heart that is so terrible that we see it everywhere. How do you see it? You see it in behavior, you see it in conversation, and so on. But to be a Christian, to be a believer in the Lord Jesus, is to sit at the feet of the living Christ and to humble yourself in His presence. To be childlike, as a little child. To sit there and to learn of the Lord. By the way, humility means submission. And humility generally means silence. To sit in the Lord's presence and submit to Him and to be silent before Him. You remember how Samuel was? Samuel, Samuel. Didn't know what voice that was. Thought it was Eli calling him. Got up, ran to Eli. You called me. I didn't call you. Go back. Three, and you remember he went back, sat down. Samuel, Samuel. Ah, Eli. Back he went to Eli. You called me. No, I didn't call you. I mean, how slow of Eli. But he got there, right? He perceived it was God calling Samuel. The next time he calls, notice how he says it. The next time he calls to you, Samuel, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. In the silence, Samuel, Samuel, speak, Lord, I'm listening. That's, that's the attitude of humility, isn't it? That's silence. That's submission. Notice in chapter 2, verse 5, that it's wisdom that leads to understanding, that leads to knowing God. This wisdom, chapter 2, verse 6, comes from the Lord, and along with knowledge and understanding, we get this grasping of righteousness and justice and equity and so on and so forth. I've always loved the opening lines of the Institutes of Calvin, because they are, they are what define the entire Institutes of Calvin. Nearly all the wisdom, he says, that we possess, that is to say, true and sound wisdom, consists of two things. Number one, the knowledge of God, and number two, the knowledge of ourselves. True wisdom is to know God. If you know God, you know yourself. And that's what it's all about. When you look at yourself, really how naked you are before God, right? How ignorant in comparison to God. God knows all there is to know. There's nothing that He can learn. He knows it all anyway. He knows everything about us, as I've said. Let me show you. Just, just go back to the book of Psalms, 139. We all know this psalm, Psalm 139. And just let me read or show you the first four verses. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 4. I mean, look what David says. O Lord... Verse 1, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. Wow. Verse 3, you search out my path where I and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, you know it altogether. Now think about that. Just think about these things that, that David talks about here. You search me. You know me. In fact, what do you know about me? You know when I sit down. You know when I stand up. He knew when you sat down this morning. He'll know when you stand up. He's known it already. 
He knows it. You discern my thoughts from afar. I don't know what you're thinking this morning, but I do know that God discerns it. He not only knows what you're thinking, but He understands what you're thinking and why you're thinking it, and He, he has discerned it with perfect justice and righteousness and equity. Because He's all wise. He knows your intents. Not just what you have thought, but what's behind the thought. He knows it all together, right? You discern from a distance because you're sovereign. You discern my thoughts. And you've searched out my path. Wherever I want to go, you know it all. You know the dangers. You know the troubles. You're acquainted with all my ways. In fact, even before a word has come on my tongue, think about it. Before I've even said something, God says, got it. I know what you're going to say before you've even thought about saying it. Yeah, God's acquainted with you. God knows you. And this knowledge, David concludes, is too wonderful for me. It's too high for me. I cannot attain it. I can't be like that. Well, that's true. Because God is sovereign. God is omniscient, right? God's knowledge is this omniscient. Omniscience. By comparison to God's omniscience, I'm ignorant. I'm foolish, I'm vain, I'm filled with poverty, I'm filled with depravity, I'm filled with corruption. You see, that's how we must learn to see ourselves when you compare yourself to God. The moment you bring God down to be like yourself, then you corrupt God. It's like the Psalm 115, making an idol. All those who make them will become like them. Because you reduce God in your mind so that you can say to others, well, I understand God, but what conception of God is that? Is it the God of the Bible or is it the God of your own mind? And when you do that, you reduce God. Instead, what we have to do is push God to the highest place, if we can even begin to do that, to think like that. But you see, in coming to, to God, in believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, in believing the gospel, in saying, I believe in Christ. I believe what He did for me. I believe this good news. When you get there at the starting point, it's only at the start that you begin to enter into the light of God's wisdom. It's only then that you begin to perceive the beauty of God's holiness. It's only then that you see the purity of the righteousness of God. You see God for who God is in His Word. You want to be wise? That's how we have to think. That's how we have to be. To put it another way, if I want to truly know God, I must be completely dissatisfied with myself. In fact, I must be displeased with myself. I must be distressed by myself. I want to be. You've seen that Simon Peter the end of Second Peter, his second letter, he concludes, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, grow, increase, develop and increase our learning, grow, learn the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Apply wisdom, apply understanding. The fear of the Lord, by the way, is the big thing for Solomon. You notice verse 7, right, in chapter 2, verse 5. He says in verse 7, The fear of the Lord is only the beginning of knowledge. 
It comes to us when we view ourselves in the right light, with the right eyes, the, the heart and mind comprehending ourselves before God. Even Job understood this in Job 28, 28. He said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil, that is understanding. So now you know two things, right? What is wisdom and what is understanding? Wisdom is the fear of the Lord and understanding is to turn away from sin, to turn away from evil. Remember how in the early Psalms, uh, the psalmist talks about don't cast your net with the wicked. Don't follow the wicked. Don't go that way. In fact, he says it even here in Proverbs chapter 1. Walk in this way. Blessed is the man who does not sit, does not stand, uh, you know, and so on, does not walk in this way. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. But the wicked are not so. The wicked are like chaff. They, they are blown and sifted with the wind. They, are, they disperse and so on, because there's no substance to them. But the man who is committed to the Lord, oh, he's like a tree planted by rivers that just replenish him, fertilize his life, change him, help him. And Solomon is providing us here, by the way, in chapter 1, with examples of evil to avoid. I mean, look at verses 19. I mean, this is what I was saying, verse 11. If they say, this is sinners, verse 10, if they say, come with us, lie with us for, in wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason, like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. And we will find all precious goods and we will fill our houses. with Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. For their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed blood. To hold back your foot, Job says, that's understanding. To turn away from evil. What is the evil person like? Look at verse 28, chapter 1. They will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Why? Verse 29, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Verse 30, they would have none of my counsel, despised all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Notice, with the, we with the wicked, with the unbeliever, no listening, no learning, no submission, no humility, right? Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Not just a turning away of evil, but the actual hating of evil. That means if I fear the Lord, I hate my sin. Proverbs 14.27 The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Proverbs 16.6 6, By the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Proverbs 19.23 The fear of the Lord leads to life and whoever has it rests satisfied. Now you might say to me, what is the fear of the Lord? What is that? Let me give you a number of points. Number one, it is an affectionate reverence. An affectionate reverence for God. You love God. That's the affection. But you know who He is. That's the reverence part. It's an affectionate 
reverence. Number two, it's a holy watching against temptation and against sin. Number two, it's a holy watching against my temptations and my sins. The fear of the Lord. Number three, let's be clear, it's not about terror or abject fear that we mean the fear of the Lord. Yes, the wicked fear the Lord in the sense of being terrified by the display of God and by who He is. But that's not what Solomon means when he talks about the fear of the Lord. It's not abject fear or terror. Number four, to fear the Lord is to walk in love for God and in submission to the law of God. It is to walk in love for God And it is to walk in submission to the law of God. And by the way, only wisdom, this wisdom, only this knowledge, only this understanding is going to help me fear the Lord in love and in service. But look at the other side. Look at the last part of verse 7. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools despise wisdom and and instruction. Now notice, fools don't merely discount wisdom or ignore wisdom. They despise wisdom and they deride wisdom. I don't need that. I don't need God. I don't want God. And they continue on their merry way making the same foolish mistakes over and over again, committing their same sins and so on and so on. No growth, nothing. Why? As the Bible says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. That's the world today. No fear of God before their eyes. Now you know one of the the great contrasting themes of the book of, of Proverbs is simply this. Wisdom here and folly or foolishness here. This great contrast between the one who is wise and the one who is foolish. The wise and the fool as the proverb says, right? Sometimes the unwise person is spoken of as being the simple one. The simple, meaning naive. It's like the fool actually starts at the bottom here as a simple person. But he graduates, if he doesn't learn from in his simplicity, he graduates from being simple and naive, unable to discern righteousness. He graduates to becoming a scoffer and a scorner. You see, the degrees start to get worse until he graduates to being a fool, the Bible says. The simple, the scorner, the scoffer, the fool. To be simple then, from Solomon's perspective, is to lack wisdom. Is to lack understanding. To put it another way, you don't know how to apply what you hear. You're not willing to listen long enough to learn in submission and humility to know what has been asked of you. That's why many Christians sometimes act like simple, the simple ones, make unwise decisions in relationships, make unwise decisions in work, make unwise decisions in life in general. The unbeliever does that all the time. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Never improving, never changing, living an entire life like that. Just going the wrong way as far as God's concerned. You see, the reason for that is the simple person has no desire for discipline. He's content with his naivete. No time for discipline. No desire for discipline. The fool, he has no time for that also, but no time for discernment and no time for discretion. 
None. Zero. Doesn't care about those things. Does not listen. Does not learn the fool. He always objects. He always questions. He always debates. Never teachable. Right? No humility. Not teachable. Rejects instruction. You know people like that. I know people like that. But the truly wise person seeks after wisdom so that he or she may apply wisdom. Knows that it is never attained perfectly at all in this life. But that's growth. That's what growing is all about. Maturity, developing. And the mature Christian is always listening to the Lord and listening to His Word because we want to love the Lord more, don't we? I mean, listen to Proverbs 3, 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes, right? Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Chapter 3, verse 7. So I must turn to the Lord and I must turn to His Word which helps me turn away from sin. In other words, I must listen in order to learn. You know, to get to the other side of a swimming pool when you're a little child, you have to get in, right? You can't run around the pool and get to the other side and say, I did it. No, you've got to get in. And you've got to swim to the other side. Then you did it. Then you made it. Right? This is what life is, right? You have to get in. To love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, you must get in the Word and learn about God. To love Him. To know Him. I love what James says, right? This is at the, I'm concluding now. How James puts it in chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. He says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. If you lack wisdom in anything, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. You want to become a wise person? Ask the Lord. Tell him, I'm foolish. Tell him, I don't know. I need understanding. I need insight. I need wisdom. I need knowledge. I can't do it by myself. Help me, Lord. Make me a wise Christian. He, he's not going to say, okay, now look, you're not quite up to it. No, he gives generously. He doesn't hold back anything without reproach, without partiality. You ask him, he'll give you wisdom so that you can live, right? But, there's always a but. But let him ask in faith. Without doubting. In other words, I must believe that God can make me a wise person. I must believe that God can teach me and God can instruct me. Because if you doubt, you're like the wave of the sea that is tossed to and fro. We all know what that looks like, right? No control. And he goes on to talk about a double-minded man is unstable in all his way. No control. Tossed to and fro. You see, brothers and sisters, only the Lord can make you truly wise. Solomon understands this, right? Remember when God said to him, what do you need, Solomon? What do you want? Give me wisdom so that I may know how to rule your people because I'm like a child. God said, whoa, you didn't ask for riches. You didn't ask for honor. You didn't ask to be the greatest. You asked for wisdom. I give it to you. Nobody will be like you ever in wisdom. But because you asked for wisdom, I give you all the rest. The riches, the honor, the glory. And he did. 
You must be like Solomon. Ask God for his wisdom. It's the Lord who gives you knowledge and instruction and understanding. So I discover these things then. Number one, wisdom comes by revelation. What do I mean by that? I mean the word, right? God's word, revelation, comes by revelation. Wisdom comes by discipleship, by humility, submission. And it demands, God's wisdom demands, number one, your conversion, your salvation. If you're not saved, if you're not converted, you're a fool, and you're unwise, and you're simple, and you're ignorant, and you're naive, spiritually speaking. In the world's eyes, you might be a very smart, intelligent, wise person. But in God's eyes, you're not, if you're not converted. That's the starting point. Salvation, conversion. What is that that's believing in the gospel? That's coming to the cross of Jesus and humbling yourself before Jesus based on the work that he did for you, your sins paid for. Have you ever done that? Have you ever fled to Jesus Christ in your depravity, in your corruption? Cast your sins at his feet. Thank you, Lord, for bearing my sin in your body on the tree. That's conversion. That's where you start. That's where we all start. Must start with conversion. But you know what that leads to? Your devotion. Your devotion. And isn't this what the what the, the, the Solomon is saying in the Proverbs? He is teaching us that that we must be discerning. We must be disciples. We must be discreet. Give to ourselves to discretion. We must be disciplined and we must be devoted, filled with love. How can you not be filled with love for Jesus who loved you and gave himself for you? You see, this is, this is just the start, the beginning of wisdom. And Solomon has a lot to say about wisdom. I pray that we all grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, God make us wise. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these great subjects that Solomon touches on that are profound and that are necessary for our growth, indeed for our likeness to Christ, necessary for transforming us into what you would have us to be because we confess without Christ we are lost, without God and without hope in this world. What a tragedy. We pray that sinners will be converted and that saints will be changed constantly by the word of God. O oh, Father, grant us wisdom. Give us understanding. Teach us your ways. Teach us your statutes. Give us insight. Help us, we pray. Thank you for your word now. Do your mighty work by your spirit for the remainder of this day and this week in us as we listen to this word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.